so Yuslan, as the world is embracing diversity in terms of casting you know, new characters from different nationalities, uh, we are seeing uh, the new Batwoman was announced in the morning today. Uh, it's an African-American actress who is quite popular and she looks like a superb casting for the role. Even in the Marvel universe, you would see in Pakistani origin actor Riz Ahmed playing the villain in Venom opposite Tom Hardy. So all my Indian uh, uh, viewers were having this question that will we see the possibility of Indian character in a Batman or a DC Comics movie? Well, I would like to turn this question around on you and your listeners. Uh, and this is something I um, sermonize about as I travel the world. I've given this same talk in China, in uh, South Korea, in Thailand, in Japan. And my point is this, for all these decades, we have given the world America's superheroes. The superheroes we have are actually contemporary mythology. They are modern day folklore. And as I always said from the beginning, the ancient gods of Greece, Rome, Egypt, and other cultures, they all still exist, except today they wear spandex and capes. <laughs> so the Greeks called them Hermes. The Romans called them Mercury. I call them the Flash. Mm. The Greeks called them Poseidon. The Romans called them Neptune. I call him Aquaman. It's about taking mythology from your culture, modernizing it, and presenting it in stories just like you go back to Odysseus, go back to Beowulf, go back to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. It's taking the stories of brave heroes, brave warriors of the day, battling the demons and dragons of their day. That's what it's about. So America has been around for oh, I, what is it, 245 years, whatever, whatever that magic number is since 1776. Mm. How many thousands of years has Indian culture been around? Oh, more than 10,000 years. Yeah, and Chinese culture and mythology and history. But where are the Indian superheroes and the Chinese superheroes and the Thai superheroes? We can't continue to do what Stan and Jack Kirby were able to do in the mid 60s and give the world its first real true black superhero. That was then, that was reflecting the times then, that was the little grain of salt they were able to get out at that time. But Stan always said that was only a reflection of looking out the window at Marvel at that moment in time. We now have to look at the window of the world today. We can't have American writers creating Indian and Chinese and Thai and Japanese superheroes and villains. That's got to be organic and it's got to be authentic. And we've given enough of ours to the world. We need something new. We need something different. We need your superheroes. And well, I think it's a clarion call. Well, um, uh, as we've spoken about, we have a, a burgeoning comic book industry, which is not very big. Uh, the Indian comic book industry would be in the excess of $20.5 million. And it has its own superheroes, but what I've seen is only a few of them have been able to embody mythology and create superheroes out of it. Otherwise, uh, there are some, you know, there are some uh, 
movie superheroes which have come out of Bollywood, uh, but they all look like a very, very heavy influence. It looks like a lot of influence of Bollywood on them. So, mm -hmm. but in comic books, I will be surprised. I, in fact, I, if I get a chance, I'll send it out to you, the publications which have come out out of India. And we've always right. talked about you coming to Comic-Con in India. Uh, you will have a look. There are a lot of brilliant, uh, you know, illustrators and writers. So, but I think your point of view is well taken. And I think it's high time Indian illustrators create Indian superheroes for the world, as you said. And I'll go one step further. You know, I also write Archie comics. Yes, it's, and of course, I, it's very popular in India. My son reads yeah. it, of all people. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you know, 10 years ago, I wrote Archie Gets Married, which turned out to be like the best-selling comics in the history of Archie comics. Yeah. And it became a worldwide uh, publicity sensation. It was getting coverage internationally. Um, I just did a graphic novel uh, Archie marries ten, the 10th anniversary to look in on where they all are now in their mid thirties and what I life is like. Yeah. And we, we talk about superheroes and I know how popular Archie is in India. Um, they sell millions of copies in India. They have a huge fan base there, but I also put out that clarion call. What about the Indian version of Archie? Mm. What about what Indian teens, Indian culture, Indian fashion is that you can export to the world the way Archie gets exported. And, uh, and you know, people love reading it as their mirror into Western culture, American culture. So it's not just about superheroes, it's about culture in general. Absolutely. Our next question is, uh, which director among the list of many directors you've worked with, uh, who have done dozen odd films of Batman, who has inspired you the most? And please share what was unique about that director. Um, well, first of all, as we discussed earlier, it was Tim Burton who was responsible for the big idea that changed the world. It permanently changed Hollywood. It changed the world's perception of comic books and superheroes. The human being um, factor, that, as you said. The human I'm sorry? Being, as you said, the human being factor. Yeah. The human being and the world building aspects of it. I contend to this very day that Tim Burton's vision affects every filmmaker, every genre film that comes out, as does Anton First's design work, which is still influencing people, and even Danny Elfman's musical score, which is still having an influence on composers today of uh, genre and other films. Um, so Tim certainly is, is right there. Christopher Nolan, there's no question about it. Look at what he was tasked with having to accomplish. He needed to rescue Batman. And he wanted to do the same thing Tim did, convince the world, the non-comic book readers, that um, this was serious business. And he came at it 180 degrees differently. Instead of building Gotham City five square blocks on the back lot at Pinewood Studios like Tim did, he was determined to make it feel real, to make audiences believe that Gotham City could exist today. And why not? Because in 89, we were living in a black and white world, good versus evil. And today, and in the past 15 years, it's been a very gray world. It's more order versus chaos these days. And he felt the time was right to convince them that this could be real. So he chose Chicago to shoot in. 
which if you remove just two iconic buildings out of the skyline, um, most audiences around the world will not identify that city and could more easily suspend their disbelief and believe in Gotham City is real. He did it with Christian Bale, the casting of Christian Bale and making us believe this man, Horizon Titan, and eventually comes back and puts on whatever you call it, the armor or the spandex, the cape, the mask. And that became believable. It's extraordinary. His third challenge was how do you make the Joker real without getting laughs? So it was Chris and his genius that working with Heath Ledger crafted this performance of the Joker as a modern day terrorist who places no value on human life whatsoever. He was scary. He was dark and very sadly, he was real to the current world. Then I think his biggest challenge, he had to find some way to convince audiences around the world that all this tech, all the technology, um, <laughs> as outlandish as it was, was true and believable. So how could he possibly convince you of that? He hired Morgan Freeman to tell you it was all true. And uh, if Morgan Freeman says it's true, by God, it's true. Um, th that was an amazing accomplishment by Christopher Nolan. And as I mentioned before, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, what they were able to do with Lego Batman. Todd Phillips with, let me put it this way. I believe for my legacy, the fact that three Batman related movies, three over the course of decades, each changed Hollywood. Each changed what a comic book movie could be. Each changed the world's perception of superheroes and supervillains. That's extraordinary. And Todd Phillips did it with Joker. That was so out of the box, visionary work that was so important because to me, cinema rises to its highest level when it not only does what it's supposed to do, which is entertain, but make you think and deal with subject matters and themes that are extremely important. In the case these days, the fact that um, we have lost our sense of civility, that people talk at each other, not with each other, that the crumbling of the, the very tissue of our society, and to address that right smack between the eyes was incredible. To deal with issues of gun violence, to deal with issues of mental health when nobody wanted to talk about it was, was, was amazing to me. So um, for all those reasons, um, the, those folks were amazing in their vision and execution. And Matt Reeves will, I know, be the next one to join that lead party. Well, I would just say that uh, one of the major reasons why, uh, uh, you know, the Joker, in fact, our next question is on how the success of Joker has changed uh, the DC universe and its future. Uh, do you think the Joker has the capacity to be a trilogy in its own right? It's because uh, Joker as a film has resonated with people who are not necessarily followers of the Batman versus Joker duel. They see him as a real, uh, you know, somebody who has been put down in the dumps because of the classes system in the society and he's trying to come over it and he's your average Joe, as they call it. 
Um, I believe that when Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix say they know what they want to do next and how to do that, that is what makes it all okay. That's it. It has to emanate from there as opposed to simply a marketing decision. Hey, this movie did $1.1 billion just in movie theaters alone, without China, without a 3D surcharge, with, you know, with, without any of that. Um, it, it can't come from marketing. It's got to be, again, organic from the filmmakers and the, the people responsible for the vision. Um, you know, every year I go back to Indiana University and I teach two courses, one of which is the business of producing motion pictures. And every year I start my course the exact same way. Come into the classroom and I say, there are 10 rules for making a successful motion picture. And all my students take out their laptops, they've got uh, all their electronics there and they start typing away. I said, the 10 rules for making a successful motion picture. Number one, story. Number two, story. Number three, story. Number four, story. Number five, story. Number six, story. Number seven, character. Number eight, character. Number nine, character. And number 10, story. And you know what? That's where this has got That's to very start. Nice way of putting it together, you know, a very engaging way of, in fact, maybe, uh, you know, we can always, uh, when, when you are here in India, I'm sure we can, uh, you know, a lot of business schools would love to hear that because you've just laid it out to the clarity which is needed before you start your hard work because just by working hard nothing's going to happen i think this kind of clarity of vision is really important it is extremely important and again that's why it keeps coming back to me it's not who's playing this principal character or that principal character it's who's the filmmaker and what is her or his vision and, and that's where it's got to begin and end Great. Well, our next question is, please rate your top five Batman comics of all time. Um, Detective Comics 439, uh, Night of the Stalker. I'm not too geeky, am I, right? Um, no, please go ahead. <laughs> I'm sure. Night of the Stalker is my favorite Batman uh, comic book story ever. Okay. Um, in this story, Batman does not say one word. Night of the Stalker. Night of the Stalker. He does not say one word, and despite that, or maybe because of that, it is the most emotionally impactful Batman story I've ever read. Wow. Um, Night of the Reaper is another great Batman story from that era when Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams were returning Batman to his darker roots. Uh, in terms of multi-part stories, it's got to be the Raj al Ghul Talia stories. Oh. Um, that, that is an epic um, that showed the world Batman was not limited to the supervillains of the 1960s TV show. And it didn't have to be just about Egghead and King Tut, uh, but, but could go a lot darker, deeper, and more mature and sophisticated. Um, in terms of the Joker, Batman number one, that first Joker story, uh, as then redefined by Denny and Neil in the Joker's five-way revenge uh, in the 1970s. 
And let's not forget Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers, whose run on, um, on Batman was extraordinary. And um, his laughing fish story uh, was another amazing Joker story. From the era when I was a kid, I have to go with Robin Dies at Dawn. Um, it was a very, very emotional story for me as a little kid when, although it turned out to be a quote unquote imaginary story, which is hard to figure since all comic book stories are imaginary, um, but, but it had a huge emotional impact on me uh, along the way. And I would say um, those lead the pack for me. Um, um, the Crime Alley story with, with Batman, with Leslie Tompkins. Uh, oh, there's, you know, I could go on and on. Okay, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's great, superb. And uh, okay, now uh, a question from my friends at Comic-Con India. Uh, yeah. One of them actually called me up and said, and asked Mr. Uslan, in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, what do you think will be the future of the comic book industry? Is it going to go all digital? Will it remain physical or will it be a hybrid? What's going to be the future like? Well, I think the first thing we all have to accept, whether you're talking about the comic book industry, the publishing industry generally, the movie industry, what to date we have typically referred to as the television industry, which the word TV may become a phrase that my grandchildren are not familiar with uh, as streaming dominates. Um, as we look at all of that, it is my personal belief that all those people who work in these areas or who are fans of these areas who are sitting around waiting for the normal to once again resume are delusional. We are not going to return to that normal. There is going to be a new normal. What is it? It's being defined day by day as we go here. And it's going to be interesting to see what people, what companies, what countries respond to these basic, basic, basic changes that are taking place, not just in America, but worldwide. Now, digital comics are gonna be extremely important going forward. There's no question about that. But there's still a place in this world for publishing. Um, I, many of the collectors I know, certainly all of the collectors I know who are 40 and over, love the tactile experience of touching and holding and reading a comic book, and maybe more importantly, having a collection to preserve on their shelf. Yes. That's important because remember, this is graphic storytelling, and those of us who are big fans love and appreciate and go back over and over again the artwork. So to have the artwork on a page right directly in front of you that you can, that you can look at for them, it's an experience that digital has a very hard time matching. But I think digital is also going to change in terms of what it does. But yes, the future of all publishing is going to rely on digital. But let me also caution you that as somebody who is a rock and roll fan, uh, since the earliest days of rock and roll, I've written two books on rock and roll. Um, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. Vinyl has made a comeback. Oh, wow. And there are stores, there are places within a specialty niche where vinyl has made a comeback. And the artwork of the big LP covers and the liner notes that everyone used to like are back in that regard. So I think there will always be that place. 
Um, but what we're going to need are people who are willing to be bold and daring and keep their eyes looking forward and see what's around the next three corners and not be scared and afraid of the status quo changing and spend all their time looking back over their shoulders, uh, fearful of being second guessed. And I think that's what it's gonna take. Okay, so now um, one uh, second last question is, you've accomplished so much as an entrepreneur. What has kept you going for decades as an entrepreneur? Uh, like this passion. passion, okay. Passion, what am I doing? I have, I've taken the things I absolutely love since I was a little kid and I've turned them into my work. Comic books. So my lesson is, oh, sorry. Your message to entrepreneurs. My message about passion came from my father. My dad, as I said, was a stonemason. My father was forced to drop out of high school when he was 16 years old to help his family survive the depression and go to work. He worked for six days a week his entire life until he was 80 years old when he only gave that up because my mom took ill and needed to take care of her. Um, my dad worked if it was snowing, he'd just build a fire and keep going. My dad worked in 95 degree New Jersey humidity, didn't matter. But every morning before dawn, my father got up and always had a big smile on his face and couldn't wait to get to work. Dad was an old world artist. He was a great craftsman. You should see the fireplaces and the homes that he built with brick and mortar and stone and marble. Um, it's incredible. Um, when you grow up in a household like that and witness that every single day, how can you not want that for yourself? How can you not want to wake up on a rainy Monday morning and say, I can't wait to get to work? So when my brother Paul and I were in high school, we began working for my dad in the summers. And it was horrible. It was the worst work in the world. We're tarring foundations in the heat. We're carrying bags of cement. We're carrying bricks. Um, that's when my epiphany struck. And that was, I had to find my own bricks and stones. And for me, it was clear that was comic books, superheroes, and ultimately, in particular, Batman. And that is what inspired me to seek that in my life. And now, at this ripe old age, looking back um, at all the hours and weeks and months and years, the 10 years it took to make Batman, I can sit back and say it was all worth it because it's a journey. And it was a journey with the things I love most in life. Fantastic. And one last question is, any message for your Indian fans? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I They're think- They're not going to see you here in India. Yeah, we, we have a, a commonality. We have a commonality. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have spoken at the United Nations three times. And each time I've spoken there has been with uh, a group from the Middle East, representing virtually every country in the Middle East. And everybody had the headsets on because most, mostly everyone there spoke a different language or dialect. Everybody came from different cultures, different politics, different gods. And we seem to have so little in common. And if you listen to the media and the politicians around the world, that's what you believe. We have nothing in common. They only accentuate our differences. But in the comic books, 
in the stories of superheroes, in the movies, the animation, the gaming. We share this love, all of us around the world, for these characters and stories. And it brings us together. And it showcases how similar we are. And every single time after a UN event, we were hugging and taking selfies and exchanging email addresses. And I, I mean, it was magic. It was magic what that showed. And I think um, with all of our friends and fans in India, um, we have that commonality. We have a bond that's unbreakable and it's very warm and fuzzy. The rest doesn't matter. And if we all focus on this thing we love together, we might, after this crazy year or two we're having, we might actually be part of a happier, better world. And if we can make the smallest personal little inroad in that, each of us, what a great thing, especially with comics, movies, and superheroes as our bond. Many thanks, uh, Mr. Yuslin, for giving us your time. Me and the Filmy Bania team here in New Delhi are really grateful to you that you have taken time out of your busy schedule. And uh, uh, many thanks for, uh, for all our fans and all the Batman fans. We'll see you again very soon. This is I look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Stuff, uh, signing off for Filmy Bania. And uh, this episode will be online soon. I'll see all of you. Many thanks. Great. Have a good day. Thank you.